And Shabbat Shalom and greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. I pray you are having a blessed Sabbath. I know many of you appeared on the Shabbat Fellowship this morning and broke bread and drank coffee and fellowshiped. And we are so blessed that people are engaging in those platforms. Remember to go to TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect and you can connect six days a week on various platforms. Also, remember to scroll down to the biblical feasts and you can register for the Passover, which is upcoming Roman April 2nd and 3rd here in Oregon. And you can register for the Passover. All of the details are there. Well, greet one another. I see you guys in the chat. Give me a thumbs up or um, some confidence boosting chat there that you've got good audio and that you've got a good picture because obviously I am not broadcasting from the studio today. So um, give me um, a thumbs up that we've got some good audio and you're hearing me nicely and that you've got good picture. And if so, we'll jump over together to Isaiah, the fifth Hebrew gospel, and we are in chapter 46 today. We looking good? Are we looking good? We got a little bit of snow here up in the Oregon hills today, a little dusting. Don't know what it's like where you're at, but here it certainly is, certainly is beautiful. So Mary Trotter, Shabbat Shalom. She says, looking great and hears me loud and clear. So that's my go-ahead to broadcast and jump into the text today. We are in Isaiah chapter 46. What are we going to do with this chapter? I wonder, I wonder. I mean, think about it. Of course, you and I, we look to Yahuwah for our hope. We look to Yahuwah for our sustenance. We, we go to the Word, the Bible for inspiration, for healing, for help. But where does the world look now? I mean, what would you, what, what would you say when you, you think about the secular people you know or just the secular society in which you live? Where are they looking? What are they relying upon? I mean, it's not like the Babylonian god Bel, is it? It's not like the Babylonian god Nebo. But what are the equivalents today? Because that's what this text is really about. It's about misplaced trust misplaced trust. We live in a world of misplaced trusts, do we not? And Isaiah right here in the 46th chapter, he begins with a prophecy of the downfall of the Babylonian gods Bel and Nebo. And of course, they're carried away as if they were burdens by some animals. Think about our society. Think about our world. I mean, what are people relying on? Because they're certainly not relying on the creator Elohim. This chapter has got a lot for us. Of course, I say that every week because it's the living word and that's why you tune in and that's why I keep delving into the word because I believe it changes lives. I know it's changed my life and obviously yours too. Let's delve in and see what we can get from the text this week. Bell bows down, Nebo is stooping. Their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were burdened, 
They are a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves, well, they have gone into the exile. Now, historically, if we go back into Babylonian mythology, Bel and Nebo were the two main prominent gods of the Babylonians. Now, Bel was also known as Marduk, Marduk, and was the chief god or the primary god of the Babylonians. And he was associated with nature, kind of like, you know, the Roman or Greco-Roman gods, you know, like Thor, the god of storms, the god of warfare, and also, of course, fertility always comes into it, the god of fertility. Now, Nebo, on the other hand, was the god of wisdom, the god of writing, and the god of prophecy. So then you get to, you know, my home country, of course, which was invaded by the Romans, and um, the Romans brought a lot of this stuff with them because Babylonian mysticism and paganism made a westward spread to the Greeks and then to the Romans. And then, of course, the Romans came over to Londinium and, and established the Roman Empire over in um, the United Kingdom, what was England and Great Britain back in the day. And then, you know, I grew up, of course, in a secular society um, with a lot of these dragon myths, you know, George and the dragon. And um, where does this all tie in? Well, a lot of these medieval dragon myths that were found in English folklore and tales were actually developed from these two false gods. Of course, dragons are portrayed as mighty mythical creatures with magical powers. But also dragons are associated with wisdom and protection or destruction where one had to muster up, you know, your own inner courage to go out and slay the dragon, to, to defeat your inner fear and inner doubt and go out and slay the dragon. So could we even maybe possibly begin this chapter to view it as, you know, a metaphor, an allegory on how we're to actually overcome incredible odds and develop an in, inner strength within, within ourselves to slay our inner dragons and have the courage to go out there and slay these mythological dragons in our society that are being thrown at us all the time by the media. Well, that's one way to approach the text. But all that to say this, there are medieval parallels between the Babylonian gods and the dragon stories. And these parallels lie in their depiction as formidable beings that commanded great respect and awe. Now, both Bel and Nebo, as well as the dragons of English folklore, they embodied qualities of strength and wisdom, and sometimes it was associated with the Babylonians of divine authority, that made them central figures in the mythologies and legends of, you know, the Romans, the Greco-Romans, and then, of course, old English folklore. So we can always blame the Romans, right? But Bel and Nebo, they represent power. They represent wisdom. They represent intellectual ability. And they are actually depicted as burdens that are ultimately powerless to save themselves. And I had an aha moment maybe a decade ago, or oh, longer than that actually now, 
where I was, you know, a Torah teacher and had done all of this study. I was, I was a lot better at Hebrew back then. Not amazing, of course, but a lot better than I am now because I was practicing more. But I had a, a really difficult time in my personal life. And I realized that all of my intellect, all my logic, all of my so-called wisdom, it, it failed me. It failed me. When I had a crisis of faith, all of that failed me. And what gave me the power to overcome was going back to my first love, Yahushua HaMashiach. And would I have the faith and the courage to stand? And that changed my life from that point on realizing that all of my own power, all of my own might, all of my own strength, wisdom, and intellectual ability are nothing in the face of crisis. Nothing. They pale to a powerful faith. That's what this chapter to me is about. So I will look at the chapter also and Bell and Nebo and look at them as a metaphor because they're a metaphor, brethren, for the limitations, the limitations of relying solely on human intellect, knowledge, and wisdom. Because these are just external sources of power and knowledge. And we, when we face biblical supernatural challenges, these external sources will fail us. And the world will soon discover this. The world will soon discover this because when biblical supernatural challenges come upon the face of the earth, who then will the world turn to? Their own intellect, logic and reason, Bell and Nebo? Well, then they will find them failing. And that's when there is the gnashing of the teeth that we read about in Scripture. In fact, Rav Shaliak Shaul, speaking to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 20, said this, Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the Torah? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not Yahuwah made the foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of Yahuwah, the world, through its wisdom, did not know him. Yahuwah was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. What truer words are there than that? You see, Rav Shaliak Shaul is contrasting between worldly wisdom, which was represented by the wise person, the teacher of the Torah, and the philosopher of this age, and the true wisdom that is only found in Yahuwah, our one true Elohim. So despite the intellectual ability of individuals in the world, they are ultimately unable to comprehend the deepest, deeper spiritual truths without Yahuwah's special revelation that he gives us through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh. And that is what this world will come to realize when biblical catastrophes hit this world of which, of course, the book of Revelation prophesies. So just as Bel and Nebo, representing intellectual ability and wisdom, are depicted as burdens right here in the 46th chapter, so does your own wisdom, 
your own intellect, your own knowledge, your own strength, it ultimately will be a burden if that is what you rely upon. And it will be a burden that will be hauled away in cattle carts because the wisdom of the world becomes powerless in the face of Yahuwah's higher wisdom. Does that make sense? We're only in the first few verses. But this harkens back to Babylon. And we are living in mystery Babylon. So you can see the connections. Just as the Babylonian gods are unable to save themselves from captivity, if we as believers place our entire trust in external authority and our entire trust in external sources or material possessions, then we too will find ourselves similarly burdened, depressed, and weighed down and unable to achieve true freedom and fulfillment in this life that Yahweh has for us. That is what we're starting to see develop in this chapter. Instead, these verses by the prophet Isaiah, they're a warning to us and a reminder to us of the importance of inner strength and wisdom that needs to be rooted in personal resilience and self-awareness. We've got to be self-aware. What are our weaknesses? What are our triggers? What are our strengths? And we need to address those things through the wisdom of Yahweh, not the intellect of man. This is what is so wonderful because Isaiah's words can be used to actually cultivate inner personal growth. His words can be used to aid us to transcend the limitations of external dependencies. And then, when, then we'll find true liberation and fulfillment where we're supposed to find it, in Yahuwah alone. Because Yahuwah is the one who has carried us all the way from the womb. Look at verse 3. Listen to me, O Bet Yaakov, the house of Jacob, and all the remnant, yes, you, the remnant of Bet Israel, who are born by me from the belly, who are carried by me from the womb. And even to your old age, I am he. And even to your gray hairs will I carry you. I have made you and I will bear you. I will carry you and I will deliver you. To whom will you liken me? He's uncomparable. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? I mean, this just stirs me up because Yahweh is assuring us as the descendants of Jacob, as Israel, the Israel of Eloah, as it says in Galatians 6. He is assuring us of his continuous care, of his continuous protection, and it has been with us since the womb, since our birth. He is our sustainer. He is our rescuer. He is the one who promises to support us, even in our old age, even in sickness, and yes, even when death is knocking on our door. If we will trust in him, in him alone. 
I mean, look at the contrasts of his eternal and unchanging nature with the fleeting and powerless nature of these idols, of this world in which they put their hopes and trust in men and media and all of this tomfoolery. So despite our failures, and we have made many, me more than most, and despite our shortcomings, and I have many more than most, I know this, Yahuwah remains committed to upholding me and sustaining me. And he is committed to upholding you and sustaining you. But we must turn to him and turn from Bel and Nebo or the equivalents in this world's age. Look what Yahushua said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 through 30, when he spoke about this provision, this particular provision that only comes from Yahweh, where he cares for his creation, trusting you and I, just as Yahushua did, trusting in Yahweh's providence, and Yahushua spoke about the parable of the birds of the air, the lilies of the field, and the clothed grass, and how Yahweh will provide for us better than he did the kings of Israel. Why? Because in Yahushua, we are a kingdom of Malkitzedic priests and a holy nation and a peculiar people. And he will clothe us more than the grass. He will care for us more than the birds of the air and more of the lilies of the field, even greater than Solomon's splendor as a kingdom of Malkitzedic priests. That is a promise to you and I when we go through difficult times. Then, the writer of the book of Hebrews in the 13th chapter, in the 5th verse, assures us as believers of Yahweh's constant presence and support and that we must place our confidence not in Bel, not in Nebo, but in him and him alone. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it is written, let our conversation be without covetousness, and we must be content with such things as we have. For he hath said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. The gods of this world will leave you high and dry. Mystery Babylon will leave you high and dry. She will use you, and she will abuse you. It's interesting, in the Hebrew, the word for sustain from the text is the Hebrew word samak, samak. And it carries the imagery of leaning or relying on something for support, like a staff, a reed that won't break. The letter within the samak, the samak itself symbolizes support or protection. It reflects Yahweh's role as our sustainer and protector of his people, just with that letter Samak. Look at verse 6. They lavish gold out of the bag, they weigh silver in the balance, and they hire a goldsmith, he that makes it into an L. They fall down, yes, they worship. They bear him upon the shoulder. They carry him and set him in his place. And he stands from his place 
shall he not move? Yes, one shall cry to him, yet he cannot answer, nor save him out of his trouble. Remember this and show yourselves to be men. Bring it again to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am El and there is none else. I alone am Elohim and there is none besides me. Declaring the end from the beginning. He's going to declare the revelation from Bereshit. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Oh, the folly, the folly of idolatry. I mean, look at the contrast between the impotence of man-made gods, Bel and Nebo, with the sovereignty and the ultimate power of the one true Elohim. Look at the text. I mean, you've got the imagery of the people crafting idols from gold and silver. And this is really focusing on the absurdity of worshipping something created by human hands. I mean, how far have we come from this, right? Wrong. We're still doing the same things. We live in a world that does the same things. Look at all these monuments that they build all the time. I mean, it's simply the same old thing, paganism. These idols, these monuments, these structures, these creation of men's hands, these are incapable of answering prayers, of saving people when their time of trouble comes. They stand mute as witnesses to the futility of idol worship. And we haven't come very far from the days of Babylon because we're living in the carbon copy of it, Mystery Babylon. But in the midst of it all, Yahuwah's counsel stands firm and he will bring about his plans without fail, even calling forth, like I said, the past couple of weeks, calling forth individuals like the end time Koresh who will execute his will from distant lands. Will it be this distant land? What distant land will it be? And then I come to wonder, when will the church wake up and finally have the courage to condemn idolatry and reaffirm Yahuwah's sovereignty? I'm waiting. Are you waiting? I wonder if it will happen. Will it happen? Because they just seem to want to continue in Roman idolatry from the Council of Nicaea. But it would be wonderful if they would wake up and finally condemn idolatry and reaffirm Yahuwah's sovereignty. Well, maybe it will take a crisis for that to happen. Now, in the book of Acts, in Marseh Shlechim, the Acts of the Apostles, in chapter 17, verse 24, Shaul addresses the Athenians, a bunch of pagans, and he emphasizes the incomparable nature of Yahuwah and his independence from human craftsmanship. The Elohim who made the world and everything in it is the master of heaven, is the master of earth, and he does not live in these monstrosity pagan architectural temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives 
everyone life and breath and everything else. It's a poignant reminder to the weakness and futility of idolatry. Now look at verse 11. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes my counsel from a far country, that's Koresh, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-hearted that are far from Zadokar righteousness. I will bring my Zadokar righteousness. It shall not be far off. And my Yahusha, he shall not tarry. I will place Yahusha in Zion, for Israel is my Tifereth, my glory. So Yahuwah is sovereign over history. Not the Rothschilds, one of them died this week. Not the Bilderbergs. No, it's Yahuwah who is sovereign over history. And he has the ability to bring about his plans and his divine purposes. He calls forth a man, and this man is going to be Koresh, and he's going to come from a distant land, and he will execute Yahuwah's counsel, showing his control over the nations and his ability to accomplish his will. Where are the royal family? Where have they been the past few weeks? Something's going on. Something is happening. Something is afoot in mystery Babylon. The nations are in crisis. Now, the phrase here, calling a bird of prey from the east, I think it could be interpreted to symbolize Yahweh summoning a powerful force or an individual to carry out his purposes. I believe that's the end time Koresh. The Hebrew word for bird of prey is the Hebrew word ait, which speaks to strength, to swiftness, reflecting the unstoppable nature of Yahuwah's unfolding plan and him bringing about his purposes. Now, there's a lot of talk about Zion, but what kind of Zion are you talking about? Are you a Zionist? You see, the mention of Zion, it symbolizes Yahuwah's chosen dwelling place and the center of his salvation, and it is not the state of Israel which is a creature of the Rothschild's mind. In Hebrew, Zion is Zion, and it is derived from the root Tziah, meaning a parched place or a dryness, which metaphorically represents a place of spiritual renewal and restoration. Look to the state of Israel. Is there spiritual renewal and restoration? No, you'll get arrested if you mention the name Yahusha at the Western Wall. If you try, no, of course not. It's not a place, it's a, that's not a place of spiritual renewal or restoration. They've had 70 years to, to bring about renewal and spiritual restoration and certainly have failed at that. Now, in Revelation, contrast that with the Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 where there will be a new Jerusalem representing the culmination of Yahweh's salvation and glory. And that new Jerusalem will be descending from the Shamayim, the heavens. That new Jerusalem will fulfill the promise of placing salvation in biblical Zion from Yahweh. And that's what we must look to. We must turn our backs away from political Zion 
because political Zion is of Satan, of the synagogue of Satan. And one Zion must fall, so the other Zion must be raised. Which Zion do you stand for? Because that determines whether you're serving Satan and you've been bewitched by the synagogue of Satan, or whether you are serving the one true living Elohim. Unfortunately, many in the church have been bewitched and they are following the doctrine of demons and they're all rah, rah, rah about political Zion and the state of Israel. They're serving Satan. It's simply, simply abundantly clear, just a bell and a nebo. So the imagery of Yahuwah bringing righteousness near and salvation not lingering speaks to the immediacy, the certainty of his redemptive work that comes through the Savior, Yahushua, whose name is prohibited of being spoken in the city of Jerusalem today without fear of arrest from the Zionists. So today, brethren, today is the day to heed Yahweh's call to righteousness, as the writer of the book of Hebrews says. Today is the day of his salvation. Today is the day to embrace his salvation without delay. It's a short chapter, so I'll try to be succinct. And in conclusion, we can look at the myths of Bel and Nebo alongside the dragon folklore of England, and we can see the parallels, at least I can, many of you I'm sure can too. You can see the parallels, George and slaying the dragon, George and the dragon, and the parallels really between our own inner personal development. We gotta slay the dragons in our lives. We gotta go out there and have the courage to defeat those things that would try and put us in fear, particularly in overcoming those internal struggles that we all have that are representative of the dragon and chaos in this world. They're metaphors, just like Job struggled with these metaphors too. You see, Bel, representing power and warfare and fertility, is likened almost unto inner strength and vitality within each one of us. There is the ability to reproduce, reproduce fear or reproduce courage. Well, that depends on how you stand. You see, this inner power, brethren, when harnessed through Yahuwah and when harnessed through the power of the Holy Spirit and channeled effectively away from paganism, away from the world and toward the one true living Elohim, then it will enable us to face our own personal dragons, our own personal symbolic fears, to overcome those inner challenges, to overcome those inner struggles. We have to slay our dragons, and it takes courage to do that. It takes introspection. We must be courageous. We must be a Joshua generation. You see, Nebo, the false god of wisdom and writing, could symbolize the intellectual and analytical faculties of the mind. But wisdom, of course, as the book of Proverbs teaches, is crucial in understanding our own inner landscape, navigating our own inner terrain. We have to navigate the complexities of being human, our own inner growth, overcoming those old patterns that we've all struggled with. Slay those dragons. But our wisdom 
has to be orientated away from secularism, away from paganism, away from self-help, and toward the one true living Elohim. It has to be rooted in truth. It has to be rooted in truth. Nebo's association with writing suggests the importance, I think, of journaling, of self-reflection, of introspection in the journey that we must embark on, one of self-discovery, one of spiritual self-discovery, overcoming those inner dragons, those inner conflicts, those inner struggles, those old patterns of replaying things in our mind. We've all done it, and many of us continue to do so, especially when we're under attack. So, is Isaiah writing to us so we can begin to identify and overcome our inner obstacles? I tend to believe so. Time to overcome those dragons from within. The Bible, the Bible gives us the power to understand the one true Elohim, and through him, and him alone, I believe we can achieve personal success and true spiritual fulfillment in this life. Because everything that this world has to offer, everything that Nebo and Bell have to offer will fall flat on its face in the midst of biblical crises. But the scripture strengthens our power in belief. The scripture gives us resilience. The scripture aids us to take proactive steps towards positive change in our life by putting the word into action. And that's what I love about the Torah lifestyle. It's not just spiritual concepts. You're actually walking out the word. You're not just keeping a spiritual Sabbath. You're walking it out. You're not just keeping a spiritual feast. You're walking it out. You're not just spiritually taking leaven out of your house. You're actually deleavening your house. And in Yahuwah alone, we are able to tap into our true inner strength to face our inner dragons, fears, doubts, and those terrible limiting, oh, you can't do that, limiting beliefs. And we all have them. Get rid of those limiting beliefs. You can do all things in Yahusha, all things in He who empowers you. It's Yahweh's wisdom that guides us in understanding our inner terrain, our inner landscape, the psychological terrain that we must overcome. And it's the Ruach HaKodesh that empowers us and gives us the tools to equip us to develop these biblical strengths and strategies for growth. And yes, it is self-improvement, but it is empowered by Yahweh, not by Bel and Nebo and secularism. Isaiah well knew how to embrace his prophetic power. He did. And so did Jeremiah. And so did Daniel. And so did all the prophets, they knew how to cultivate the wisdom from Yahweh. They knew how to embark upon a journey of personal spiritual development. Not of the world's calling, but of divine calling, even in the midst of Assyrian aggression and later Babylonian aggression and eventual siege and slavery. 
I'll finish up in 1 Peter, in the first chapter and in the 12th verse, because this is powerful. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the Besorah, the gospel to you by the Ruach HaKodesh, sent from the Shamaim, the heavens, even Malachim, angels long to look into these things. I love this verse. Look, even the angels themselves, they're curious about you. They're curious about how we can navigate this world. And they are desirous to understand the profound truths of the gospel that have been revealed to us through the Ruach HaKodesh. Just think about this first, what the impact of this is. The angels are desirous to know how you live and navigate this world as a believer. Look at the significance and the depth of the revelation that believers have received through this gospel message of Yahusha and Yahusha alone. So how much more? So how much more, ask yourselves, if we implement such spiritual discernment that we too will ultimately overcome our inner dragons and achieve even greater levels of fulfillment and success in this life? I'll finish with two words. Amatz, amatz, courageous. In the Hebrew, amatz, aleph, mem, sadi, sofit. It means to be steadfast, steadfastly minded, strong or stronger, to establish, to fortify, to harden. Yes, you've got to have a certain hardness about you. You've got to have an increase, prevail, strength, make strong and have obstinance and speed. You've got to think on your feet. You've got to be slightly stubborn and obstinate to stand up against this world. That's the Hebrew word amatz, courageous. And the other word we know so well, chazak, chazak, courage, spelled che zayin kuf. It means to fasten, to attach to it. You've got to make it a part of you. Hence to seize, to cure, because courage will cure fear. Courage will slay the dragons within to help, to repair. Courage repairs our broken lives. Courage to cleave, hazak to cleave, to constrain, to lean. Lean not on your own understanding, but lean upon the shepherd's staff. Hazak, hey, zayin, kuf, to play the man. I like that. Yeah, you got to play the man. Don't fool for the man. Don't be bewitched by mystery Babylon, but play mystery Babylon. Learn to play the game. Learn to play the man. Behave self-valiantly and withstand. Amatz chazak. Courage, courageousness, and courage. I'll end up in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, and bid you adieu. Be strong and of good courage. Shabbat shalom. Thanks for tuning in. Catch us live possibly next Shabbat. A lot going on in my world right now, so I don't know where I'll be or what will be happening, but we'll keep you posted. Pray for one another. Let us walk in Yahweh's paths. Let him ordain our footsteps. Let him give us the timing of our walk 
and our words that we may be swift and full of amatz chazak. Shabbat shalom. Greet one another in the chat as you leave. And subscribe to the ministry channel. Give us some thumbs up. Leave some positive comments down below. And hopefully I'll catch you soon. And come to Passover. Register at TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. Scroll down to Biblical Feasts and you can register right there. April 2nd and 3rd here, Passover in Oregon. Shabbat Shalom.